Happy Sabbath, y'all. How you guys doing? Welcome back to the Power Hour. So we are in a series called Recycled Grace. It's based on the book of Judges, and my aim has been simple. That is to show you that God's grace is recycled in spite of our shame, in spite of our sin, in spite of our mistakes. God is that awesome. Last week, I helped you to understand that if we forget God's grace, we are going to do it again. It, that habit, that sin, that mistake. When we forget the grace of God, we will do it again. Now, in the book of Judges, one of the things that God did in order to recycle his grace is that he chose human, human saviors. Chapter 4 or chapter 3 to chapter 16 of the book of Judges talks about these human saviors. Human and savior in the, in the same sentence does not make sense some, somehow because we believe that God saves. We believe that Jesus saves. But there's something you need to know that in order for Jesus to save, he had to become a human being. God does not operate or manifest his program for humanity without a human saviors. So I have chosen one human savior to talk about this morning. Turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 8 verse number 22. Judges 8 and verse number 22. The word of God reads, then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also, for you, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor, my, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you that each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. So they answered, we will gladly give them. And he spread out a garment and each man threw into it the earrings from his plunder. Now the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold besides the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple robes which were on the kings of Midian and beside the chains that were around their camels' necks. Then Gideon made it into an ephod and set it up in his city, Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot. All Israel became prostitutes, spiritual prostitutes with it there. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. It became a snare. Gideon and his house. Our sermon, our sermon label this morning, a flawed 
Savior. A flawed Savior. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. Speak, O oh God, through me to somebody. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The year was 1219 BC. The Midianites flooded Israel. The Midianites were the descendants of Abraham when he married his second wife, Keturah. So naturally, they became the enemies of Israel. For seven years, the Midianites devastated the Israelites. When the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites would come with their camels, with their cattle, with their sheep, and they would graze on the gardens and on the farms of the Israelites. Uh, to the point that the Israelites had no food and they became a welfare state. They were a starving nation. Out of fear, many of the Israelites relocated from the valleys into caves, into the mountains. Israel, looking at their situation, decided to call upon God. And they cried out to God, Lord, help us. We are starving. Lord, help us. The Midianites are just wreaking havoc upon us. And God responded. Oh, God always responds. God chose a savior. God chose a man to save his people. He, he grew up in a small town called Ophrah. They are located in Manasseh. And because the Midianites centralized their attacks in Manasseh, it made perfect sense for God to choose a man from Manasseh to save his people. His name was Gideon. But when he comes on the scene, Gideon is not holding a sword. Gideon is not planning military strategy. Gideon is hiding in a threshing, in a wine press, threshing wheat because he does not want the Midianites to take the little that he has. And there an angel appears to this human savior and says to this human savior, Almighty man of valor, I have chosen you to save your people. Gideon does not embrace the task. In fact, he closes up his arms and he says, you cannot choose me, Lord. I'm a man of many flaws. I don't come from the right family. In fact, I come from the smallest family 
Lord, I am not capable to do this task. Look at all the flaws that I have. You can choose somebody better. And somebody here hears my voice and they understand that when you have been chosen to do something, when you are asked to do something, you look at how incapable you are. You look at how flawed you are. Instead of saying, I will do this, instead of accepting the task, you look at how incapable you are. Gideon was incapable. He was a man with flaws. But God convinced Gideon to the task and he decided to accept the call. Now, in order to meet the Midianite threat, Gideon needed an army. Gideon got together. He called the surrounding tribes around Manasseh, Issachar and, and Zebulun and Gad and and, and Ephraim, he called them all. He says, look, come here, come here. We got a fight to, to wage. And they came 32,000 strong. But 32,000 in comparison to 120,000 of the Midianite soldiers was a little number. But then God says, Gideon, wait, wait a minute. The 32 are too much. Let us reduce the 32 to 300. God just made the odds even greater. 300 must face off 120,000. And Gideon does not protest the strategy of God. He accepts the strategy of God. And in the middle of the night, Dickie, in the middle of the night, Gideon armed with trumpets, armed with pitchers, surrounds the camp of the Midianites and he tells his soldiers let us when I give the signal I want you to throw the pitches on the ground and then we're going to blow the trumpets and so the the at the queue of Gideon the soldiers threw the pitches on the ground and they broke and then they sounded the trumpets and at the sound of the broken pitchers and the sound of the trumpets, the Midianite soldiers got up each man and they fled. And Gideon, in pursuit, tracked down every single Midianite soldier and killed them all. It was a great victory. It was an amazing victory. It was on the headlines of the paper that day. Gideon with his, with his 300 has killed, has defeated 120,000 Midianite soldiers. The hero of the nation has done it for us. We didn't know how we're going to survive, but we are able to survive. And so Gideon realizes that his military career is over and he is going back to his hometown in Ophrah. Gideon is walking with his 300 soldiers and they offer him something. They offer Gideon kingship, Putra. They tell Gideon in verse uh, number 22, Rule over us, both you and your son, and your grandson also. 
for you, for you, Gideon, listen to this, Elder Donald, for you, Gideon, have delivered us from the hand of Midian. The 300 looked at Gideon as the savior. They attached the blessing of salvation to Gideon. You see, it's easy to attach blessings to a seen reality than an unseen reality. Often God is unseen in the blessings that we have. Often God is like a star during the day. He is there, but we don't see him. And because we don't see him, we do not really attach the blessings that we have to him. Instead, we attach the blessings to those we can see. We attach the blessings to the things we can touch. We attach the blessings to the things that we can do. And here, the 300, they're saying to Gideon, you be our king because you have been king on the battlefield. Something else happens. People will often transfer success in one area as a guarantee for success in another area. People will see a great athlete, Elder Ray, like LeBron James or Anthony Davis or Kevin Durant or Steph Curry or Dickie Cristiano Ronaldo. And they will see that they are good at playing a game and they see that they have been successful. They will take that success and transfer it to a product. Either a Nike shoe or a, an alcoholic beverage or some other product. Because they see that the success that this man has in this area will transfer to success in another area. Wow, you are a great planner. Why don't you be the CEO? Wow, you are a good marketer. Why don't you also take over the whole department? Because when people see success in one area, they will transfer that success into another area. Be careful of people that transfer your success in one area to another area because when they transfer success from one area to another area is because they can see an advantage, an opportunity that you can bring to them. I wish I had a witness in this place. Because they can see that if they will move you to this place, there will be advantage. You see the 300 and the soldiers looked at this man Gideon in his capability to strategize and defeat a large army. They say, wait a minute, we have our man. He's king. He has kingly ability. You see, largely today, monarchies like the British monarchy or the Thai monarchy, they are largely symbolic. But back in the day when you were a monarch, when you were a king, you were expected to save your people. You expected to go out and fight. David was a fighter. The kings in the past were fighters because that is what it meant to be king. And so they can see Gideon is a man who 
can, can take care of us. Be careful of people who see you in what you can take care of them for. Now, now I love Gideon because Gideon does not bat an eye. He doesn't say, let me go and pray about it. Let me go talk to my wife and see what she thinks. Gideon says, no, I cannot be king. And I love exactly what he says. And this is definitive. He says, I will not rule over you. I won't do it. Don't expect my son to do it. Because God shall be a king for you. And now Putra, I want you to see what's happening right here. This is something. Because Gideon is being offered the kingship. That means servants at his wish and call. That means 24-7 protection. That means living in a palace. His kids' futures were set. It was a great opportunity, but Gideon said no. And I wonder this morning, if you are Gideon, would you say no? And I ask myself, if I'm Gideon, would I say no to being a king? But Gideon refused the kingship because Gideon understood that Israel already had a king. All they needed to do was to acknowledge their king. And therefore, he wouldn't get in the way of the king that was already there. Gideon understood that their king was God. That their king was the king of the universe. He was already ruling the universe. And Gideon would not allow an opportunity of greatness to take away the greatness of God. You and I must be willing to say no to opportunities. We must be willing to say no to positions. We must be willing to say no to gifts that will take away the greatness of God in our lives. That will take away the greatness of God to rule our lives. That will take away God's position as number one. Gideon understood, if I become king, they're going to lose sight of God. God's power is going to be undermined. And I will not put myself in a situation that undermines the greatness of God. So in order for him to ensure that God had to be great, that God remained great, he chose to say no to a great opportunity. The British crown lost a prince last Sunday, Prince Philip. Prince Philip married Queen Elizabeth II. When he married Queen Elizabeth II, uh, he did not suspect that Queen Elizabeth II would become queen of the British Empire, but that's what happened. But when he married her, he thought, me and my wife are going to serve in the uh, British Royal Navy. I'm going to be a captain. We're going to travel the world. We're going to do great things. But as soon as they got married, uh, Queen Elizabeth's father died. And she was called upon to be the Queen of England. 
and the one who delivered the news of her father's death was Prince Philip. But that day also was the day that his dreams died because he was called upon to lay aside greatness for himself so that he could support the queen of england and the queen of england one time as they as they were celebrating their wedding anniversary on november 27 1997 she made this great remark about prince philip she said it like this he is someone who doesn't like he's someone who doesn't take easily to compliments but he has quite simply been my strength and stay all these years. And I and his whole family and this and many other countries owe him a debt of gratitude that he would ever claim or we shall ever know. He has been my strength and stay all of these years. Listen to me carefully. God has called you and I to be his strength and stay. God wants you and I to be so dedicated to him that no matter what happens, our lives are going to elevate his name. That our lives are going to magnify who Jesus is. That we're going to be his strength and stay no matter what. We're not going to take opportunities that diminish God. We're not going to get into things that are going to diminish God. But that when we die, whenever that day is going to be, we people should be able to say, there is a man. There is a woman, there is a young man who has been a strength and safe for God. He has been loyal. He has been committed. He could have been great. He could have been a CEO. He could have owned companies. He could have traveled the world. But because he loved God that much, he made his life a platform. He made his life a springboard for God to be great. I would love to end the sermon right there. I wished Gideon's story ended right there. We could be like, wow, Gideon is a great man. But the scene doesn't end right there. It doesn't end right there. Gideon says no to the, to, to the offer. Put, uh, he says no, I don't want to be king. But he makes a request. Go on, go on. Look, look, at, look, at, look at Gideon's request. He says, I would like to make a request of you that each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. Interestingly enough, the men did not, did not hesitate because... Gideon was favorable to them. They said, we will gladly give them to you. We will gladly give them to you. And I believe that Gideon was prepared for this. Because he takes out a garment, probably his shirt or something. He lays it out on the ground. And every man took his earrings and threw them right there. And Gideon collected them. Now, now I need you to know something. That the earrings were uh, ornaments that women and children of both sexes used to wear in those days when people wore earrings they they were a sign of good luck uh, they were a sign of protection and so these men have plundered the Midianites they have collected the gold 
the golden earrings and other things and they want to take them home because hey you, you a husband is coming from war he must bring something for his wife and children but these men they, they, they don't mind that they give Gideon the gifts because Gideon knew that they would give them because he was already in a favorable position with them and, 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 and they gave him these golden earrings. It's interesting to me that we are told a specific detail of these golden earrings. We are told how much they weighed. They weighed 1,700 shekels of gold. That translates to 42.5 pounds. It translates to 19.6 kilograms. I did a little mathematics and I understood that if we're to calculate the amount of gold that he received, it will translate to over a million dollars. So Gideon became a millionaire overnight. Gideon became rich overnight. I do not want to be your king. I, I don't want to be your king. But can I make a request that you give me a little bit of what you have? Now, now they gave him a million dollars worth of golden earrings. But that's not all that they gave him. Notice what else they gave him. Besides the golden earrings, they gave him the crescent ornaments, pendants, purple robes, purple robes, which, catch this, which were on the kings of Midian besides the chains that were around their camel's necks. Elder Donald, Gideon refused royalty. But he accepted royalties. Gideon refused the title of king, but he was living like a king. He said, don't put me on the throne. Just make me live like I'm on the throne. You see, Gideon embraced the lifestyle of a king, but he just didn't want the title of a king he was a king with no title. And you know that sometimes when people have a title, it, it means nothing. What matters is the, the influence. What matters is the power. What matters is how, the lifestyle that you live. So Gideon didn't care about the title. He didn't want to be seen in the forefront. He didn't want to be seen as this king. And this, and this. I don't care about that. I just want to live like that. He was a king with no title. In fact, in, in, in the next couple of verses, Gideon establishes a harem. A harem is a, an institution where back in the day, kings would gather women and they would make them live in certain quarters. And these women were simply for the, the king's or the ruler's pleasure. So every night, Gideon would get to see a different kind of a woman and he could afford it because he was a millionaire now notice that the men of Israel they say Gideon we, we want you and your sons to be our king and notice what Gideon does he calls one of his sons Abimelech you know what Abimelech means 
Abimelech means father of the king. So Gideon is saying, I cannot be king now because maybe right now is not the right opportunity because as tribes, we're not together. And if I stand up as king, it's going to create a, a, a terrible situation. But I think in the future, my son can be king. And I am the father of that king. So Gideon is living like a king, though he doesn't have the title of a king. And here we see a flawed savior. That he is a man who is after a greatness. He is a man who is after a relevance. He knows that his military career is about to be over, but he does not want the greatness to go away. He does not want the influence to go away. He does not want the relevance to go away. And therefore, the, the, the greatness that he was trying to protect of God, he took it away. The honor that he was trying to protect to give to God, he took it from him for himself. And how sad it is that sometimes we serve God, that sometimes we do things for God, that sometimes we're in the front lines for God, we stand up for God, but yet we take the glory for ourselves. Here is a man who was flawed. Here is a man who wanted to be great. And how could he do it? Get rich. You see, when we are introduced to Gideon, Dickie, we're introduced to Gideon as a, as a man who is in hiding. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. He's hiding. He doesn't want to be seen. He looks like a coward. But, but notice how he's described. That the angel who comes to Gideon says to Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor. That is a 2021 version of a Navy SEAL. He is a mighty man of valor. He is a great man. He is a man who has power. He's a man who has great muscles. He's a man of strength. He's not a weak man. And therefore you know that Gideon has in him a, a great ego. Therefore you know that in, in Gideon there is this greatness to accomplish something. He wants to be something. And all men are built like that. We want to do something. We want to achieve something. We want to accomplish something for our family. We want to be something for our family. Gideon had that as well. But it was his flaw. It was the thing that God gets in the way. But you see, I'm glad that God uses flawed saviors. I'm glad that when God chooses us, he can see all the flaws that we have. God knew that Gideon is one who hungers after greatness, but God chose him anyway. And God can see that, wait a minute, this person has a love for fame, but I want them anyway. Jesus looked at Judas and said, wait a minute, Judas is a man who wants power and fame, but I want him to be my disciple. It tells me that God does not choose us based upon what we are, based upon who we are, but God chooses us in spite of our flaws. God chooses us because he can see that if this person works with me, and this person walks with me, I'm going to translate them into something that is flawless. 
And that's the grace of God right there. But here, Gideon's desire for greatness and relevance is getting in the way. When I was about to graduate, a year before my graduation, I had been the captain of the College of Theology basketball team. I had led the team for about two years. And under my leadership, uh, we won games. Under my leadership, we, went it, we, we made it to the championship game. And so I, I felt I was on top of the world. I, I was a great captain. Uh, people came to me. My teammates come to me and asked me for advice. I would craft game strategy and that kind of thing. But a year before I graduated, I decided to give up the captaincy uh, to uh, an underclassman because I thought a great leader knows how to do a succession plan. He, he must pick somebody who's going to take over so that the vision continues. So I talked to one of uh, the, the underclassmen and I said, look, I've been watching you and I've been seeing what you've been doing for, for the team. I think you are the great next captain. In fact, I want to choose you to be captain. And I talked to all the team members and I said, I want you to, be, to take over for me this season. And everybody agreed. Now you see, as, as a former captain, I was still playing on the team. I was no longer captain. I was just a member of the team, you know. But I noticed something that happened to me is that I, I, I got out of the starting lineup. That's the first thing that happened. So I was coming off the bench. You know, it took a little, a little, uh, I had to swallow my pride a little bit because I'm like, man, I got to come off the bench. But I started coming off the bench. And then I realized I didn't have as much, as much influence as I did before. The new captain didn't even look my way for any advice. So I started to think to myself, I said, wait, why did I give up the captaincy in the first place? I should have just kept it. I should have just kept it. And I regretted the fact that I, I gave it up. But I gave it up because I knew that graduation was coming. I gave it up because I knew that my time was up. Now, I need you to understand that here Gideon knew that his time was up. He knew that it would be over for him. And he wanted to maintain some kind of relevancy. He wanted to maintain some kind of influence. He wanted to maintain some kind of greatness. And the way he knew how to do this is that he had to get a little bit of money. He had to get a little bit of wealth so that he could live a certain lifestyle. And this is what he wanted to achieve. Because he took his money and he turned it into an effort. Gideon took his money and he turned it into an effort. He wanted to maintain relevance. Today we talk to God through prayer. We read a Bible to talk to, to, to God. But in, back in the day, they, they will talk to God through an effort. They will go to the high priest and they would ask, Low, uh, high priest, I, I would like to invest my money in this project. Is this what God wants me to do? And they would approach the effort and it would light up. If it lit up a certain kind of way, then you knew, okay, God is saying yes. And so here Gideon says, I'm going to establish... An effort, I'm going to build it myself. I'm going to set it up in my hometown. And I want people to come to me to seek God's word from me. 
Never mind that there's already another effort, already have a high priest, but I want it to be here so that people can still talk about Gideon. So that people can still see that Gideon is relevant. Man, Gideon is a great man. He helped us to defeat the Midianites, but not only that, he helps us to talk to God. And so Gideon wants this relevance. He wants this, this greatness and he puts he makes his own version of worship. The things that people will do for, for relevance amaze me. The things that people will do for greatness amaze me. People will jump up, will jump off buildings to be relevant and to be great. People will eat will eat creatures that should not even be eaten to be great. And, and let's be real for a moment. That some of us greatness is what we hunger for. Uh, sometimes when we post things. Sometimes when we make comments. Or, or sometimes the things that we buy. Or the, the people that we want to be in us. And to surround us. Uh, don't tell me that we're doing that because that's who we are. Uh, don't tell me that we, we're doing that simply because we have achieved something. But, but could it be that sometimes we're doing those things because we desire greatness and we desire relevance? This is what Gideon is desiring. Uh, but, but I want you to see, Sister Lara, what happens to Gideon uh, because of his desire for greatness and he creates this, this effort. Notice what happens. Notice all Israel... Played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon. Notice what happens. His desire for greatness took down the whole nation. It took down his whole family and it took him down. One of the saddest stories I've ever read or heard is a story of Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff, uh, living in New York, established a, a company, and he created one of the greatest Ponzi schemes in history, $20 billion. And because of this Ponzi scheme, he was caught up, and he got arrested, and, and because of getting arrested, his son, committed suicide because he could not stomach the thought that people looked at him as a schemer. But it wasn't him who did it. It was his father. But in his father's scheme, in his father's flaw, in his father's desire to get rich in the wrong way, it took down his son. How is it that here is a man who has saved the nation, who has brought them from uh, against their enemies? He is the very instrument that is destroying the, 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 the nation, that is destroying the the family he's destroying his kids a warrior on the battlefield is a loser in the spiritual field 
A warrior on the battlefield, one who honored God, is unable to honor God in his personal life. One who was a great public figure does not have a good relationship with God in his personal life. And because of that, he's taking his family down with him. It is a story of a preacher who honors God in a sermon, but fails to honor God in his personal life. It is a story of a parent who brags about his kids, brags about her kids to friends, but yet will label that same child foolish. It is a story of somebody who has achieved success in the public sphere, but personally they are failing. And not only are they failing, they're failing others around them. Uh, Listen to, to this that I need you to take home. You see, when God ceases to be king, your flaws are going to ensnare you. When God is not ruling your life, you are in trouble. You see, Gideon understood it. He told the men, I cannot be king. I don't want to be king. Because he understood that God must be king. But he did not take his own advice. Instead of allowing God to rule his life, he allowed his desire for greatness to rule his life. And when that happens, it becomes a terrible situation. Instead of whatever it is being a blessing for us, it ends up being a curse for us. See, God knows you and me better than we know ourselves. He knows the extent to which a love for money can take us. He knows the extent of which if we overspend can take us. He knows the extent of how alcohol can bring us down. He knows the extent of how sexual promiscuity can bring us down. He knows the extent of those things. But he calls you and me to enter his service so that in spite of our flaws, in spite of the challenges, if he is ruling our lives, those things are not going to rule us. If he is king in our lives, those things are not going to rule us. And if we do not want to be ruled by our flaws, if we not want to be ruled by our our weaknesses, if we don't want to be ruled by our mistakes, we need to let God be king. We need to let God rule. We need to let him take care of of business. I love the fact that Gideon says to the men, I cannot be king. I need God to be king in your lives. Let me just go back. I cannot be king. I need to be I need to let God be king because Gideon understood something that he could not let he could not let himself be a solution to a spiritual problem that the people had. You see, the reason why the Midianites were attacking the Israelites is not because of a financial problem. It's not because of a marital problem. It was because of a spiritual problem. God was not king. And Gideon understood that God is the solution to this situation. So you can never allow, listen to me carefully, you can never allow a human being to be a solution to a problem that only God can solve. And unfortunately, many of us are looking to human solutions to solve the problems that we have. 
You cannot allow a sermon to solve your, your need to get into the word. You cannot allow somebody's prayer to get into the way of you praying with God, for God, with God, for yourself. You can't allow a human solution to be a solution to your spiritual problem. Only God can be a solution to your spiritual problem. And unfortunately, many of us, we're trying to take God out of the picture. But let me tell you something. When God is out of the picture, you're going to be ensnared. When God is out of the picture, you're going to be caught up. Only God can solve your problems. You have marital problems? Go to God. Financial problems? Go to God. You have parental problems? Go to God. Work problems? Go to God. Whatever problem that you have, go to God. Because I have learned that oftentimes our physical problems are rooted in a spiritual problem. So Gideon says, I cannot be king because only God can be king. I can't rule in your life. Let God do that. Let's start letting people know, hey, hey brother, let God, do, let, let God rule your life. I can give you a little advice, but please don't take my advice as a substitute for prayer in your life. I can preach a sermon to you, but please do not take a sermon as a substitute for a daily reading of the scriptures. Last time that I checked, we call the scriptures the bread of life. And many of us eat every day. Even after we fast, we eat. And if the word is the bread of life, it means that I need the word in my life. Do not let a human solution. Do not let a human solution solve your spiritual problems because it will not work. Now, you, you see, if Gideon's story ended right here, I would be sad. But I'm glad that Gideon's story does not end right here. The writer of Hebrews gives us a concluding summary of the life of Gideon. Notice what he says about the concluding uh, life, concluding the life of Gideon. He says something beautiful that just caught my attention. He says, he says it like this, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel, the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens. You see, God wants to do for, for you what he did through Gideon. Yes, Gideon had flaws, but God was able to use him to subdue kingdoms. God used them to work righteousness. God used them to obtain the promises. God used Gideon and all the others to stop the mouth of lions, to quench violence, to escape the edge of the sword, to turn flaws into strength, to fight battles with valor, to make armies flee. God wants you to beat. Like a Gideon. He can see your flaws. He knows you are weak. He knows you're not strong. But God is not daunted by how weak you are. But God knows that if you allow him to elevate you. If you allow him to rule your life. Then he can do amazing and wonderful things in your life. I don't care what flaws you have. I don't care what weaknesses that you have. But God wants you as his flawed savior. God wants you. To go into battle 
to defeat the Midianites. There are Midianites in somebody else's life that only you can be able to defeat. God wants to take 300 soldiers, the little that you have, to use it for his glory and for his honor. God wants you to be able to work righteousness in the life of somebody. God wants you to be the means on which you help somebody struggling with alcohol or premarital sex. Whatever it may be, God wants you to be the means to help somebody achieve. God wants you. God wants you. God wants you. And I'm glad God wants me. And I'm glad that God uses me as flawed as I am, as weak as I am. To help somebody. But the only way you allow God to use you. If you let him rule your life. Because if he's not ruling your life. The flaws are going to get you. And I'm glad this morning. That Jesus Christ. Would not. Would not back away from my flaws. That he stepped up on that cross. That for my sins. As flawed as I was. And he said son. My brother. My sister. I love you. And I want you in my kingdom. I want you a part of my army. God wants to use you, as flawed as you are, to do something for him. Perhaps as you heard me preach, you said, well, pastor, I, I'm a man. I'm a woman of many flaws. In fact, I've been ensnared by my own flaws. That's because I'm not letting God rule my life. I want God to run my life. I want God to be first in my life. I want God to lead me forward. If, if, if that is you, uh, you can just simply stand in faith with me today and say, you know what, Lord, we are standing up. Perhaps you have never given your life over to Jesus. And you feel like your flaws are too much. Uh, you feel like, hey, man, God, God can't, can't touch me. But I'm here to let you know that God can actually touch you and he wants to touch you and he wants to use you. God wants to make you a flawed savior because God understands that it is flawed saviors that save other flawed people. Every head is bowed, every set of eyes is closed as we pray. Heavenly Father, I'm delighted this morning that in spite of our flaws, you're willing to choose us to serve you. And I'm glad you chose Gideon in spite of his flaws. You used him mightily. Yes, he messed up, but Lord, you used him mightily. And we are praying today to ask you to use us mightily. We are, we are praying today to ask you to, to make us flawed saviors, to help others, Heavenly Father. Lord, we recognize that we are flawed. We recognize that we have weaknesses. We recognize that we have challenges, Father. But we come to you today and say, Lord, please, in spite of our flaws, accept us and help us to embrace your grace. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your care. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I'm going to see you real soon. Take care.